0: minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 278 of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV, and of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Sports. The NFL draft is officially in the books for 2019 and today I will be breaking down pick by pick everything that Green Bay uh, addressed in the draft. Who they picked, what positions they uh, impacted, what players on the roster could be kind of impacted going forward. I'll go over uh, a little bit of each of those things, but I kind of want to just get started, get right in, start talking about the draft picks. Um, I'll kind of go over a brief summary, first of all, of everyone that that they selected. I'm sure you probably know all those names by now, but uh, of course they started off by selecting Rayshon Gary, edge rusher out of Michigan, Darnell Savage, defensive back out of Maryland. Uh, Elton Jenkins, interior offensive lineman out of Mississippi State in the third round. They selected Jace Sternberger, tight end Texas A&M. They then followed it up with Kingsley Kiki, defensive lineman out of Texas A&M also. Uh, Kadar Holman went next as a cornerback out of Toledo followed by Dexter Williams, running back out of Notre Dame, and Ty Summers, linebacker out of TCU. So I'm going to be covering each of those players today, just kind of giving my initial thoughts. I want to really break them down one-on-one, go over the player scheme fit, athletic scores, everything like that so that you guys have a full understanding of exactly what these players may bring to the table in 2019 and then obviously going forward as well. One thing I want to briefly cover uh, before I get into these players, when I go over athletic scores, I'm going to be talking about two specific scores. I'm going to be talking about their spark score, and then I'm going to be talking about their relative athletic score. The spark score is a scale 1 to 100 or 0 to 100, uh, and it's just gauging your overall athletic ability. It's one formula that's used, and then the other is a relative athletic score, and that's basically uh, taking your athleticism relative to the position you play and the size that you are as a player. So So those are the two athletic scores. Just know the higher, the better. Again, Spark is zero to 100. RAS is zero through 10. So the higher, the better. And uh, you're going to definitely see some trends that Green Bay, uh, similarly to what they've done in the last few years, but especially last year and this year under Brian Gutekunst, uh, they continue to get elite athletes that scored well, not only in Spark, but in RAS as well. So we'll kind of go over all of that today, and we'll start right, right away, of course, with Rashawn Gary, the edge rusher out of Michigan. Before I jump into him, I want to go over my thoughts of what I was kind of expecting and I think in general what you want out of a top 12 pick in the draft. Of course, we're hoping that Green Bay does not make any sort of habit out of selecting in the top 12 in the draft, hopefully not even the top 15 or 20 of the draft going forward. Hopefully this is a rarity. And when you're picking that early, you want somebody that has a variety of different things. You you know get the cliche, you wanna check all the boxes. Well, I kinda of wanna go through those boxes that I was hoping to check or that I was hoping Green Bay was gonna check with this sele- selection uh, with pick number 12 in the first round. Of course, you want all the physical traits and all the upside in the world. You want this player to have the physical ability to be a kind of a freak athlete in this league and be able to kind of take it by storm. You also hope that those athletic traits not only showed up at the combine and at their pro day, but that it showed up on tape as well. Uh, A great example of this is maybe Montez Sweat, who you could certainly see a lot of his athletic gifts on tape, but when he measured at the combine and at his pro day, it was even a notch higher, and you kind of had to go back and look at the tape and say, was this really real, or does he maybe not play to that type of, uh, those athletic gifts that maybe he actually has? So you're hoping that not only do they have those traits, but again, that it shows up on tape. You're hoping for an ideal scheme fit, somebody that's going to come in and be able to fit the scheme that your system, whether on offense or defense, is currently running. Um, ideally they would have played at a high level, whether it be at a a specific high level program or at least a big conference. Um, Even if not, maybe they had a handful of big games. Taking Andy Isabella, he at least had some games against SEC schools. He tore up Georgia. So you at least can kind of see how they do in those. But at this point, you're hoping that you can have uh, this player have some tape against some of the better competition in college football you're hoping that they have some versatility. Uh, certainly can maybe play a couple different positions. Uh, a pre, you really want them to be playing a premium position as well. Uh, you want them hopefully to be somebody that's either gonna disrupt the passing game, either as a, a corner or a pass rusher, or maybe that they're gonna be a player that's helping you in the passing game, whether it be a quarterback or an offensive lineman, uh, receiver, etc. cetera. Uh, those are generally the more premium positions. Of course, Green Bay's not in the need for a quarterback here, but you kind of get my point of wanting a premium position this high in the draft. You don't really want any medical or off-field red flags. You want them to have the ability to be a cornerstone piece for your franchise. And then you really want to see some level of production. And if you're starting to kind of look at the analytics, you want to see that they uh, are projected to become a high-level player, uh, both with their athleticism and then with their statistics from college and how that could potentially translate to the NFL level as well. So those are a lot of boxes to check. And I know that that's a lot to ask for maybe the top uh, 12 player in the draft. This isn't like a top three pick. I understand that. But a lot of these things you do want to check. And with Rayshawn Gary, the great news is, is he checks a ton of these boxes. So all the physical traits and upside, no questions asked. Uh, Those athletic traits show up on tape unequivocally. He's a perfect scheme fit. He played at a high-level program and conference at Michigan in the Big Ten. He offers a ton of versatility, can play some outside linebacker, can play some defensive end, could even move inside uh, to a defensive tackle or interior defensive lineman position in pass rush situations. Definitely plays a premium position as a uh, a big-time pass rusher. Uh, He did not really have any off-field red flags, at least not that I was aware of, so he has that as well. Theoretically, he would certainly have the traits that you would look for to be a cornerstone piece of the defense for the foreseeable future. But there were two question marks with Rayshon Gary, which is why a lot of people maybe weren't talking about him to the Packers at pick 12 or maybe in the top 10, uh, top 15 as a player. And those two things, first of all, was the medical, which is a question mark in general. Uh, there was rumors going around that he maybe had a torn labrum, that he was going to need sh- shoulder surgery going into the 2020 offseason. It now seems like maybe that was overblown just a little bit. I don't know that we still have all of the answers. I'm not sure that Green Bay is going to have all the answers until he reports, and we know if he's already suiting up. You know, at minicamp and training camp, and things like that. That'll be one thing that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. But the biggest thing is really the production. If you look at Rashawn Gary's production, if he produces at a higher level. He's going top five, top three, maybe even, you know, in that, uh, you know, Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams type, you know, realm, or I guess Cleveland Farrell didn't exactly see that coming, but you're talking about him in the top five of this draft and the production is really kind of what held him back. And, and maybe, you know, if, if he ends up being great, hopefully that's the thing that maybe teams overlooked and Green Bay got a steal at pick 12. But I want to go over some of those production question marks because I think they're very important he had less than 10 sacks in his 3 years at Michigan and that's kind of a big concern again if you're looking at somebody who has all those athletic gifts uh, but isn't you know maybe uh, you know turning those into sacks or turnover type plays that's a question you have to answer And of course, then the the thing that you look at is, you say, well, Andy, you know, sacks aren't the whole story. There's pressures, there's hurries, there's hits, there's tackles for loss. There's a lot of different ways that a player can impact the game besides sacks, absolutely. Well, he had 26 total pressures last year. And if you kind of look at that in comparison, and Gary was a little banged up and he didn't play a full slate of games. But if you look at that in comparison to some of the top players as a pass rusher in this draft, Josh Allen had 57 pressures, Jalen Ferguson had 64, Montez Sweat had 48, Cleland Farrell 56, Brian Burns 63, and again, Gary only had 26 total pressures. So, I mean, you're talking, you know, less than, uh, you know, half of almost all of these guys, save for Montez Sweat, but certainly well, well below what you would kind of expect it to be. He only had 17 hurries, which would have been worst for anyone uh, at the edge rusher or even pass rusher position that went in the top three rounds of the draft. Only five hits also would have been worse than the edge rusher class in the top three rounds. Only six and a half tackles for a loss. And in 34 games, only had one turnover play. He had no interceptions, no fumble, recovery, fumble recoveries, just one forced fumble. So, that's the big question mark with Rashan Gary. And of course, what a lot of people will say is just because you don't have production in college doesn't mean that you can't have production in the NFL, which, sure, that's certainly the case. That It doesn't always 100% translate, although there's trends. And then, of course, you can always look back and say, well, Rashan Gary was banged up. And you can say that, you know, he saw some consistent double teams and uh, teams were paying attention to him, which is partially the case. When I go back and I look at the film, you definitely see plays where teams are either, you know, running away from him, uh, letting him get up up the field and then kind of running around him a little bit. Uh, you'll see some double teams but let's not pretend that this is an Ed Oliver situation where he's playing over nose tackle and consistently getting double and triple teamed every play because they don't have anyone else on that defense to really take attention away from him. This is a player that in the past couple of years has played with guys like Maurice Hurst and Brian Burns and Chase Winovich, just to name a few. He had a very good defense and Michigan's defensive coordinator and their head coach, they'll they'll tell you right away that they kind of used Rayshawn Gary as a player who could eat some blocks. So I'm not saying that there's not a piece of that to it. What I am saying here is that it is a little bit of a projection. And I want to clarify because a lot of people have used the word project and I'm using the word projection. So what I mean by that is, he has NFL traits and ability right now, day one. He's not this huge quote unquote project where he's gonna come in and you're gonna have to teach him to do everything. I disagree with that sentiment and the reason I say that is because he's got very fast hands he's quick off the line of scrimmage he has explosive ability and he was able to hold up at times when he was seeing some of those double teams so he has traits that are going to come in and help right away so I don't know that he's so much of a project as a, as he is as a projection you're saying that he's going to be able to use those traits use that talent use that athleticism and that he's going to come in in the NFL and those production numbers are going to be much higher than they were were at Michigan. So more of a projection than maybe a project. Are there some things that he needs to clean up and he needs to learn? Absolutely. He needs to figure out a game plan when it comes to trying to get to the quarterback. He's too uh, reliant upon his athleticism and and just his pure innate natural ability uh, to actually, you know, where he hasn't had to, you know, discover a move set or, or figure out a path to the quarterback. That's something that he's going to have to do. But I think the thing that you love there is Mike Smith, the edge rusher and linebackers coach uh, that has come in from Kansas city this off season D. Ford, Justin Houston, and Chris Jones, three very productive players in the NFL, have gone a long way in crediting Mike Smith for their success in the league. And I think Chris Jones is really the one that you want to pay a very high close attention to here because Chris Jones had a lot of these same question marks. In fact, Chris Jones was a lot more of his motor ran hot and cold. He wasn't always motivated and Mike Smith found the formula to have him become a very, very successful player in this league. So I think that's a real positive uh, for for Gary. And I think the other positive is he's coming into a, a general room of players. I know he's going to be more of an edge rusher, but I guarantee he sees uh, some time in the interior of the defensive line as well. He's going into a room with players like Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Kyler Fackrell, these are professional football players through and through. He is going to be able to learn from them on how to be a professional, how to prepare for a game with the mentorship from Mike Smith, playing in a scheme under Mike Patton that is absolutely suited for him. Uh, Mike Petton loves to do the stunts and the pulls and uh, the games up front and the twists and everything that you can possibly imagine uh, to try to get his athletic players in space, maybe matched up against a running back or a fullback, maybe a tight end. He's going to do a lot of creative stuff. And it's really gonna lend itself well uh, to what Rayshon Gary does well from an athletic standpoint and just as a a general player standpoint as well. So uh, there's a lot to like here. There really, really is. I do just think at, at pick 12 in the draft, that you're you're hoping for to to see some more of those flash plays to see some more of that productivity to see him kind of dominate and take over games at time uh, at times at the University of Michigan and I just didn't see a ton of that and that's why for pick 12 uh, this was just a little bit rich for me now uh, just to kind of finish breaking down Rayshawn Gary when you look at it from an athletic profile standpoint, I mentioned already that he has everything in spades, uh, but I want to go over this in just a little bit more detail. So we talked about Ed Oliver and Brian Burns being two players that are super athletically gifted, and I've been very high on. I said those are two players I really want Green Bay to target. Well, if you look at it from an athletic standpoint, basically Rashawn Gary has Ed Oliver's athletic profile, but Gary's two inches taller which is obviously helpful for a variety of different reasons. If you look at Brian Burns, basically Rayshon Gary has Brian Burns' athleticism, but he's 28 pounds heavier. He had a 94.9 spark score, a 9.95 RAS, and he was the heaviest player ever to run a 4.640-yard dash in uh, the actual or under he actually ran it at four five eight at two hundred and seventy seven pounds. I want to clarify that one more time. So he was the heaviest player ever to run under a 4640. And again he ran that 40 at 458 at 277 pounds. Just ridiculous, ridiculous athleticism. So when you're comparing some of these top end players, the question with Brian Burns and the reason why I said I didn't think Green Bay was ever going to take him Is is he going to be able to be a guy that holds up on rundowns? Well, we don't have to worry about that with Rayshon Gary. He can absolutely hold up at the point of attack on rundowns. He did that very well in college. Can still improve, but he did it really well. You're going to be able to play him inside, outside rundowns, pass downs. He is a every down player on defense, which you don't know if Brian Burns was. And then from an Ed Oliver standpoint, again, he just has a little bit more size, a little bit more uh, you know, um, height to him, which it, again, is going to lend itself better to the versatility. Ed Oliver is basically more of an interior guy. I know some people you know, were looking at him maybe as an outside linebacker, maybe playing some edge, maybe even playing some inside linebacker, which was ridiculous. Uh, so Ed Oliver has some versatility too, but Uh, Rayshon Gary's height and just his general size and athleticism is going to give him a little bit of an advantage there too. So I wanted to point out these, these two players that a lot of Packer fans have been in love with for a very long time, Brian Burns and Ed Oliver, Rayshon Gary has basically everything they have and and a little bit more from an athleticism standpoint. From a tape standpoint, I kind of touched base on a little of this already The one thing I want to touch base on is I actually made the mistake. When I made my initial notes and when I actually went on uh, Aaron Nagler and Corey Banke's draft party on Thursday, uh, I mentioned that I thought, you know, Rayshawn Gary ran very hot and cold. And uh, I went back and I've looked at a lot of tapes since then. And I think that my initial evaluation and a lot of play, a lot of people's evaluation on that was incorrect. And I think he runs plenty hot. You see him chase down bubble screens. You see him, uh, I, I saw him specifically miss a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. He got back up, chased down the play and was involved with the tackle a little bit later. He does not give up on plays and that motor is plenty hot and he seems plenty motivated. The big issue is just consistency. You will see him disappear at times. And I think that's where people maybe got a little bit confused and said, and, and including myself, and said, well, maybe he's just not that motivated. And like I said, the more and more that I watched, the more intricate that I got with with breaking down every play, I didn't have an issue with his hustle. I thought I thought he hustled really, really well. And like I said, his motor was plenty hot. But uh he, he had that variance in play where there'd be times where he was taking over, you know, games and, and being a real impact player. And then other times where he'd just disappear for periods. So just that level of consistency, something he's going to have to improve needs to finish a little bit better. As I mentioned, there was a play in the backfield where he shot in, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, had a chance to make a big tackle for loss and, and just didn't, didn't get the running back down. And there were a couple sacks that he definitely should have had as well. But uh, again, quarterback was kind of able to escape his grasp. So He needs to finish better. And then, like I mentioned earlier, he has to figure out a move set and a plan to get to the quarterback. Perfect scheme fit. Again, stunts, twists, games up front. Mike Patton's going to do a lot of that. He loves bringing players in waves, keeping guys fresh. Uh, He's really going to help in that regards. And and I think the versatility that Zadarius and uh, and Gary have are going to bring or give Mike Patton a lot of different weapons up front to use along with Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark and Preston Smith, and Kyler Fackrell, Uh, there's just a Dean Lowry. There's a lot to like up front, and I I think Mike Pettin's really going to like what he's going to be able to do. A couple last notes. I do think there's a little bit of the fact that everything kind of came a little bit easy to Rayshon Gary to begin with. He had his first scholarship as an eighth grader, um, and I do think that you know maybe he it took him a little bit of time to figure out that he has to also not just win with pure athleticism, and that's where I say he's got to kind of put that game plan together to get to the quarterback. Um, his defensive coordinator again spoke very highly of him. Devin Bush even said that he would have taken him uh, ahead of Devin Bush ahead of himself. So uh, he had high praise for Rashon Gary. And uh, like I said, just needs to needs to finish more. So those were my, my final notes uh, on Rayshawn Gary. I think he has every tool to succeed in the NFL. I do think there's, again, those question marks on productivity and what they actually get out of him uh, is, is, is really going to make or break this draft as a whole. That, I really wanted to spend the majority of my time on Rayshawn Gary today just because it's such a huge pick for this franchise. And I was harsh up front. I basically said right before the pick, anybody besides Rayshon Gary, or are a quarterback. And uh, after the pick, I said, you know, I was pretty disappointed in it to begin with. He's grown on me some. Uh, is it what I would have done at 12? Probably not. Looking back at it now, can I see why they wanted to take him at 12? For sure. Uh, I 100% can see why they wanted to take him at pick 12, And uh, I do think that maybe the injuries played a little bit of a part last year. If you look at his pass pass rush productivity, it was better in 2017. So I I think there's uh, some of that there. And he's said and done the right things throughout this draft process. And I'm hoping he comes in motivated. And like I said, he's coming in to a really, really great situation. Next up is Darnell Savage, 5'11", 198, safety and defensive back out of the University of Maryland. 21 years old. He's a true senior 86.5 Spark score, 8.35 RAS score. So again, really, really athletic. In fact, his RAS was even higher uh, when he's used as a cornerback. So he has that going for him as well. I kind of labeled him the anti-Haha Clinton Dix. So Haha Clinton Dix, of course, was somebody that played a little bit more uh, passive at times. He was trying not to give up those big plays, but Uh, Darnell Savage is a guy that is super, super aggressive and will come up and plays like his hair's on fire. Uh, He will shoot up to make plays on the football. He attacks bubble screens. Just aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. He plays like a missile. He's super versatile. He can play uh, inside as a big nickel. He can play some even slot corner just straight up. I I think in a a pinch, he could even do a little bit of that. Uh, He can play some free safety, some strong safety, some box safety. He can blitz whatever you want him to do, he can do. And he was easily their best safety on the board. They went up and attacked it and moved up to pick 21 to go get him and get who they had as best safety on the board. So I think that's uh, noteworthy in and of itself. I do think he pairs really, really well with Adrian Amos. So I think Amos is going to be a guy that's, again, a little bit bigger. Uh, Again, of course, he's going to have that that veteran leadership uh, you know, playing next to Savage. But I think just his steady hand on the back end is going to allow Savage just to fly around a little bit more. But you can use those two a little bit interchangeably as well. You're not going to want to have... Uh, Amos in coverage against wide receivers, uh, but Amos is a little bit bigger too, so he's going to be able to maybe hang against some of those bigger tight ends just a little bit more. Whereas Savage, you're going to be able to use a little bit more against receivers, uh, and again, just use his ridiculous athleticism uh, wherever you want to use it. So I like how they pair together. There were three safeties really that I thought fit well next to Adrian Amos in this draft: uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who had a really big fall, of course. I think you know he he fell into day three, if I remember correctly. And then uh, Juan Thornhill, who went end of day or end of round two, and then Darnell Savage, who went again pick twenty one, obviously. So uh, this is a, a player that again they attacked. I think they were smart to do so. He's going to become a fan favorite very quickly, just the way he plays. I kind of also labeled him the Jair Alexander of safeties. Not the biggest, not the strongest but he plays with aggression and you're just going to see that. You're going to see a little bit of uh, effort and energy and swagger. You're going to see all of that out of Darnell Savage. And like I said, I think fans are going to fall in love with that. He does lack ideal size and strength. Again, only 5'11". He had the, the least amount of, of bench press uh, reps at the combine of any of the safeties. But again, he just makes up with that with the way that he plays the game. When teams attacked him in in the passing game, Uh, They were 28 of 49 for 239 yards, only 8.5 yards per catch, which is incredibly low, but then pair that with the fact that he didn't give up a single touchdown and had four interceptions, just really, really great numbers as a coverage player. He also had 25 defensive stops a season ago, which is another really, really high number. And then there were two plays when I'm breaking down his tape that really stood out to me. When I watch a lot of aggressive players you will often see them make mistakes and give up big plays because they're coming uh, like their hair's on fire, trying to to you know make this big aggressive play and they overrun it or they misread it and it ends up in a big play for the other team. And there were two plays that really stood out to me. Uh, the first was a double move. He's in coverage in the slot and they're trying to use some of his, the, the offense is trying to use some of his aggressiveness against them. So he's one-on-one, they're using the double move against them, Uh, he runs the, the the receiver runs the first move. Savage doesn't bite. He knows that the receiver goes that way. He has the speed to make up for it. He's not worried about it. He's just playing it as is. Uh, The receiver cuts back inside. The quarterback throws the ball. Savage is able to easily knock away the pass and not give up the touchdown in the end zone. So that was the first one The second one was kind of a series of plays against Ohio State. Against Ohio State, he was, and just in general, you watch him against bubble screens, he's constantly firing up to the football to try to make a play behind the line of scrimmage or get to that ball carrier, uh, that receiver, running back, whoever it is in the bubble screen, and try to get to them as quickly as possible and obviously limit yardage. Well, in the Ohio State game, Ohio State had the perfect play call set up. Maryland's bringing a blitz, and it's basically two blockers for the two cornerbacks, and then it is Savage uh, with the the receiver who caught the bubble screen one-on-one, and every single time up to that point that I had seen him, he's aggressively getting up to that that receiver trying to make the play right away. This was the first time in those scenarios that he didn't have any safety help behind him. And he knew that and he broke down in the open field, made sure that he made the tackle. Did he give up seven or eight yards in this situation because he wanted to make sure he made the sure tackle? He did. He made the right move. He made the right read. He could have maybe stopped him for one or two, maybe even less yards. Had he went up and and fired and tried to make that play right away? Maybe. Uh, But if he missed it, it's a touchdown. So I love the way that he played that. I love that he's aggressive, but he's smart aggressive. He knows when to take his shots and he knows when he could be potentially be set up and he knows when he has to be a little bit more conservative. So that was definitely something that stood out to me with Savage as well. I think when we look back at this draft three to five years from now, I believe it's gonna be Darnell Savage that's the one that that we look back at and say he was really the, the key pick from this draft. Moving on to Elton Jenkins, 6'4", 3'10", interior offensive lineman out of Mississippi State, really played all over the offensive line at Mississippi State, played center last year, it was announced as a guard for the Packers. Uh, 23 years old, redshirt senior, so a little bit older. 23 is not exactly older aged, but uh, you see a lot of you know, 21, 22-year-olds, even a 20-year-old here or there in the draft. So being 23 is a little bit overage, but nothing too bad. Um, 50.1 SPARK, which is a little bit lower than what they generally have, but a 9.34 RAS or relative athletic score. So again, that's a very, very much falls within their, their thresholds there. And they generally tend to stick to RAS a little bit more than, than SPARK. And I don't want to say by any stretch of the imagination that they're actually using SPARK or that they're using RAS or relative athletic scores, but I do think they probably have their own formula. Uh, for their thresholds and I think Kent Lee Platy has really kind of hit the nail on the head with his RAS scores and really kind of how uh, the Green Bay Packers have a, have a similar formula so uh, they've really kind of stuck to that and uh, again 9.34 here for Elton Jenkins only three sacks allowed in four season uh, four seasons and only one sack allowed in the last two seasons again played all over the offensive line. The two things that stood out to me when I watched him on tape, the first one's easy, and that's his anchor. You, you see him if he gets, uh, you know, maybe jarred back to begin with. It doesn't matter because he can just get his butt low, sit down, anchor, and that defensive lineman is not going anywhere. He just has that innate strength and innate ability. Uh, kind of almost like a, a sumo wrestler in front, where if somebody's got a head of steam and they hit that hit that sumo wrestler, he's not going anywhere. And you kind of see that a little bit with Elton Jenkins. And then the other one is just his football IQ. He understands checks and calls at the line. He understands where to find work, where his assignments are. And I think that is something that long-term, if they look to move him to center after this season, or uh, maybe when Corey Lindsley moves on and whenever he moves on, I think he could end up really being a player that sticks in this league for a long time because of that football IQ specifically. So he's got, again, great anchor. He's got great athleticism, great football IQ. And uh, yeah, basically pro football focus had the same pass blocking grade on Jenkins as Minnesota's first round pick Garrett Bradbury. So you're talking about a guy that from a pass blocking standpoint, Uh, Pro Football Focus had rated very, very high. And again, that was something with that anchor that I kind of mentioned earlier and just his, uh, his movement skills and his ability to mirror in front of defensive linemen and defensive tackles you see that pass rush or pass blocking ability against uh, even some of the better upper echelon uh, pass rushers in in the sec and in college football last year. So he played at a very high level and I think he's going to be somebody that competes for a starting spot sooner rather than later. So I know a lot of people were questioning and saying, you know, Was Elton Jenkins really the right pick? There's guys like DK Metcalf on the board at this point. There were a lot of players that maybe had fallen that Packer fans weren't expecting. But I think if you really start looking at Elton Jenkins and where he fits with this team, he really fits well within Matt LaFleur's scheme. I think he could be a starter sooner rather than later. And I think he could really press uh, for playing time, whether it's Billy Turner, whether it's Lane Taylor, that he presses for that playing time. It would not shock me to see him get playing time sooner rather than later. So I like this pick. I think he's going to be a a player that is on this roster for a very long time. Again, based off of that that high end IQ. Uh, but yeah, liked this pick overall, and I, I think they I think they really knew what they were doing there in, in selecting Elton Jenkins in the second round. Jay Sternberger was the next pick, and this was maybe the most interesting pick. And the reason I say that is. He did not test athletically the way that they would normally have their thresholds set up. So only a 22.0 Spark score and a 5.25 RAS. So the RAS isn't you know, below average by any standards, but it's right at average. And they're almost always not only an above average, but you know exceptional RAS and athletic ability. So uh, he was well below their general thresholds in that regards. He also doesn't fit exactly what they need currently and what I think Matt LaFleur would ideally have out of his tight ends. We're expecting Matt LaFleur's Scheme to want versatile tight ends who not only can you know catch the ball uh, but who can be involved as pass protectors, who can be involved as run blockers, and really hold up in all facets. So you're not exactly tipping your hand to defenses when you bring in uh, a Jay Sternberger and line them up. You know, the other team's going to expect pass in those situations, similar to what Jimmy Graham has. And if you run on them, they basically know that you're kind of a player down because Sternberger and Jimmy Graham and Robert Tanya and these move tight ends aren't going to exactly be big-time run blockers against the defense. So you want a little bit more versatility there, again, and, and just bringing a, a dual threat to the table, being able to both you know, be a pass receiver as well as a blocker. And Sternberger is really that move tight end. And I'm not saying he can't block. I think it's going to take him some time in development. Uh, he hasn't been asked to do a ton of it, and when he has, it's more of a just kind of get-in-the-way type of guy. But he could develop into that, but it'll it will it'll definitely take some time. I love the fact that Jay Sternberger in his interview afterwards said something to the effect of he knows he has to learn to block better. So at least he has the mindset right. But I think that was the big question mark here. But I think what this tells you is that he didn't meet their athletic thresholds. He didn't exactly fit the scheme or what Green Bay I think would ideally have at tight end. I think what this really tells you is that they loved him as a player so much that they didn't care about those two other things, that they just wanted to get him on the team And they'll figure out how he fits in the scheme. And they were willing to say, screw the athletic thresholds. We just want this player on our team. So I think that's a a pretty big endorsement for Jay Sternberger that they were willing to do that. The last player that they picked in a similar uh, type range that didn't meet those thresholds was Jamal Williams. So it, it hasn't been 100%, but certainly under Gutekunst, this is the first time he's kind of gone under those thresholds and like i said it's the first time since jamal williams so uh, he he was obviously somebody that they liked really uh, a lot and, and they went and, and got him despite some of those things and uh, the the couple things that really stood out to me on tape the the one really really big one was just his natural hands and hand catching ability so he is a player that i saw on multiple occasions where he got his head around at the last second and the ball was on him and he caught it every single time He's going to be that player on third downs when you need a third and six that he's just going to go run a stick route. He's going to turn around. The ball's going to be there. He's going to be able to absorb contact and come down with it. He's a pretty fluid route runner. He's got some ability after the catch. He's faster uh, in the game than what he showed at you know during his athletic testing, both at the combine and at his pro day. So I think that's why Green Bay was willing to say, you know, again, forget the thresholds. He's plenty fast on tape. We'll, we'll worry about that later. And I do think that he could be, uh, again, a player that's used as a move tight end this year, uh, but really looking a little bit further down the line. you know, Going into next year, I've talked about this before, they're going to want to move on from Jimmy Graham. Uh, You're not making any decisions in the draft based off of Robert Tanyan, and and he's really a, a free agent next year as well. And Mercedes Lewis is a free agent. So this is really the guy that's Really, the only guy that's guaranteed a a roster spot for the most part. They're probably not moving on from a third-round pick already by next year. He's probably the only tight end that's uh, guaranteed a roster spot going into 2020. So he's kind of the future of this tight end room at the moment. Uh, So hopefully, Green Bay got this pick right. I I really like the pick. I think again, he would have ideally had more of an all-around tight end, but tough to argue with what they're getting in a player from Jay Sternberger. Kingsley Kiki, 6'3", 288 pound, defensive lineman out of Texas A&M, 22-year-old senior, 45.4 spark, but again, 8 plus uh, RAS, he had an 8.0 exactly. Lots of versatility. Again, he can play inside, he can play outside. However, he was more played out of position at Texas A&M. They played him really outside, and he's probably more of a Use him as an outside, if you're really in a pinch kind of guy, he's a much better player inside if you are playing a a team that you really need to set the edge against, then yeah, put Kiki out there and and let him set the edge as a as a bigger defensive lineman but at two hundred and eighty eight pounds in this defense he's going to be really play inside, and where he started to show inside was in the bowl game and in the senior bowl a season ago. Um, in the Senior Bowl, he uh, had a, a one-on-one against Chris Lindstrom in the game, and who was, again, a top 15 or 17 pick somewhere around there, and uh, Jenkins beat him easy. He also had a play in season inside against, uh, or excuse me, he beat Lindstrom easy. He had a play in season against Elton Jenkins, uh, the now Packer, who we just talked about, and he absolutely smoked him off the line of scrimmage as well. So some Packer-on-Packer Packer crime there. He had a ridiculous play against Florida where he hustled about 75 yards downfield and made the tackle on the ball carrier way, way, way downfield. You just see this big 280-pound defensive lineman come flying in at the last second and get the shoestring tackle to really probably save a touchdown on the play. Just an absolute ridiculous, you know, play to, to see him hustle all the way down the field, and then also had a really crazy spin move in the bowl game last year where he really sets up the sets up the opposing offensive lineman. And uh, sets him up for a perfect spin move. Gets him inside and just immediately sacks the quarterback. It's like an under three second sack. So he flashes some of those plays on tape. Needs to be more consistent. Tape is tough to watch at sometimes because he's playing so much out of position at that defensive end. A, a true defensive end at AM. But I think if they're going to get him, move him inside, uh, he could be a player that's a, a rotational player and, and could really fit again nicely within Mike Patton's scheme. Gadar Hallman, six foot one ninety six cornerback out of Toledo. He's a senior. He's twenty four years old. So that's where we start getting in the, the you know overaged range. Uh, the fact that he's twenty four, um, you know, not a huge deal, especially when you're picking someone in the you know fifth sixth round. I think he was a sixth rounder. So you know not you're not super worried about that, but a little bit on the older side coming out uh, you know of Toledo this past year. Seventy three point seven spark score. Nine point two three RAS. So again, you can see these trends, very, very athletic player. He really worked his ass off to get to this point. Uh, He was somebody that was given nothing. He was working a day job, sent his tape to everywhere around college football, just trying to get a chance. Toledo brought him in as a non-scholarship player. He earned a scholarship and now he was drafted by the Packers. And I think one of the interesting things about Holloman, a lot of times, when you get these try-hard players who had to earn everything and grind just to get where they're at in college football and maybe they make it somehow to an NFL roster, usually you don't pair it with really elite you know, skills and traits and athleticism. Usually it's a guy that doesn't have super high-end traits and and had to work his way everywhere just to scrap and claw his way uh, to this point because he didn't have those elite traits. Well, with Holloman, he learned that he had to work hard just to get where he was at, but he still has a lot of those really incredible athletic traits as a six-foot, almost 200-pound cornerback. So I think he he kind of has a story similar to Donald driver. And I don't want to put that idea out there and say, you know, he's the, he's going to be the Donald driver of corners, but you get a guy who knows how to hustle. He had a 75 yard uh, play where he chased a guy down from the insane opposite end of the field, 75 yards downfield. And not only did he chase him down, down downfield when he took off, he's just running at a completely different speed than everyone else on the football field. It's really an incredible play to watch. He has the size, the speed, the athleticism. He's got the hustle. He's got the heart. He's got the determination. He's going to start off, I guarantee you, as somebody who plays well on special teams. At some point, somebody's going to get hurt. He's going to have a chance. It wouldn't shock me one bit if he took advantage of that opportunity because that's all he's been doing his entire life. I'm excited to watch Kadar Hallman. I'm excited to dive into him even a little bit more as I get more time to watch more tape. But uh, he's somebody, like I said, that I'm excited to dive into. And I think he, you know, Green Bay could have something there. That, that's, that's exactly what you want from a late round pick. Dexter Williams uh, was the next pick, 5'11", 212, uh, out of Notre Dame. Again, a running back, 22-year-old senior. And the, the interesting thing here about Dexter Williams is He is a one-cut downhill runner that is the perfect running back fit for Matt LaFleur's zone-blocking offense, and his vision is on display consistently. He knows how to find the hole. He knows how to find the gap, and as soon as he does, it is one cut and it is gone at times because, again, he also has that elite athleticism. He can take it to the house at any time. I think he had like a 98-yard run uh, this past season. If if it wasn't 98, it was something pretty close. Might have even been 99. But uh, he has that breakaway ability. He, uh, you know... He displayed, uh, there was a play where he he definitely showed that he could display balance through contact. Uh, obviously, there was more than one play, but the, the play that I'm thinking on uh, was a touchdown run where he gets hit and he just bounces right off the tackle, uh, keeps his momentum, keeps his balance, and, and takes it in for a touchdown. So I love the fit this late in the draft and how he fits from a scheme standpoint. And he's going to make this team. Uh, I think he, he has a great chance. I think he's already the number three running back just based off of what I've seen on tape and will be expected to back up Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. I think he immediately jumps anyone else that's currently on the roster. So good pick here again for Green Bay. Ty Summers, 6'1", 241, linebacker out of TCU, redshirt senior, 23 years old, 88.2 spark, 9.71 RAS, all the athletic thresholds more than hit again, this is a perfect spot for Summers to come into. He's really only behind Blake Martinez and Oren Burks, uh, you know, from a from a starting standpoint, I guess. And then you have James Crawford that's on the team as well, who's a special teams ace, but certainly isn't in any position to be a, a starting caliber linebacker in the league at this point. So he comes into a depth chart that doesn't have a ton of players in general on it and certainly not a, a lot of high-end talent. He has, again, all the traits. He was a three-time Big 12 uh, all-conference linebacker, 271 tackles, 17 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, nine passes defended, and two interceptions in his career. Super athletic, uh, you see him being able to get in coverage, and his movement skills is really what stands out uh, on tape. Again, his his ability to flip his hips, move around, cover people. He's used as a blitzer. Uh, he can actually get off blocks, which is something you know even Devin Bush struggles with at times. I, I saw a couple plays where Ty Summers was able to get off a block effectively, uh, even against some some bigger offensive linemen. So, under the radar guy, I, I was honestly, pretty, pretty surprised that he was there in the seventh round. I, I thought he was going to be more of a, a fifth round. Wouldn't have shocked me if he squeaked into the fourth. I thought his floor would probably be fifth, maybe early sixth. So the fact that Green Bay gets him in the seventh round would not surprise me one bit to see him make the roster. Again, probably similar to Hallman, where start off making your impact on special teams. And if you get that opportunity, make the most of it and, you, and see what happens from there. And again, I think he's got a chance. So those were the those were the the picks for the Packers. Um, I'm just going to kind of go over some superlatives here, some of my favorites, least favorites, biggest shocker, things like that. So I'll just kind of run through these pretty quick. Uh, my favorite pick was Darnell Savage, and honestly, I'm not sure that it was particularly close. I think when you watch his tape, you just fall in love so incredibly quick. Um, it's not a mistake, although it's it's probably high. Uh, high praise probably too high of praise and too high of expectations but it's not a mistake that the name Earl Thomas came out uh, from the Packers press conference when they were kind of describing Darnell Savage and some of his ability to flow to the football don't get me wrong he's not going to be Earl Thomas and that's not what they meant either but similar size and I actually kind of compared him a little bit to Bob Sanders just the way that he flows to the football but I actually think he's better in coverage. So yeah, so basically he's Earl Thomas and uh, Bob Sanders, but better in coverage. So that's what you can expect out of Darnell Savage. Uh, totally being you know facetious, of course, but uh, he is a, a really, really fun player to watch. Uh, again, you, w- you wish he was maybe a little bit taller. You wish he maybe, uh, again, had a little bit better in the bench and was a little bit more physical, but uh, he has so many elite traits. And uh, he, again, this is a player that, he does not just jump off the tape. He screams off the tape at times. And, uh, you know, had a beautiful pick six where he jumped her out, had another play where he perfectly jumped her out and uh, was able to cause the interception. And then not only that, but he saw the interception coming, turned around and made a really nice block as well. Just a football player through and through. Like I said, I think he's going to be kind of a, a, a fan favorite sooner rather than later. Biggest shock to me was really still Rayshon Gary. I, I, kind of mad at myself for not seeing it coming more because he had uh, the perfect scheme fit and all the athletic thresholds. I think the the injury uh, talk about him having the torn labrum uh, really kind of threw me and I think a lot of other people a little bit. And again, just that lack of production, but um, it was still a surprise at the time that it happened. I don't think anyone really had that pegged. I've seen... A ton of mock drafts and a ton of predictions by a lot of people in the Packers blogosphere and writers and the beat writers and everything like that. And I don't know that I saw anyone that that mocked Rashawn Gary to them. Uh, so that was still the, maybe the biggest surprise to me in this draft. And the other one probably would have again just been Sternberger, just because he he really didn't meet their thresholds and didn't really perfectly fit the offense either. So those were kind of my two surprises. The biggest value or best value I thought was Dexter Williams running back uh, again, Notre Dame, just a perfect, perfect scheme fit. And you watch his vision. He's going to hit those holes. He's going to be one cutting and upfield. And uh, I think he really has the ability to make this team and, and maybe be someone down the line that can really contribute for Green Bay. Longest career, I think uh, Elton Jenkins may end up having the longest career in the league of all the Packers draft picks. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, again, just that high football IQ, uh, just the ability to anchor so well, and uh, just be kind of one of those tough guys in the middle of the offensive line that can pass protect. If you get a guy that can play center and guard, that can can play at that level and anchor so well, uh, I think he could, again, stick around very, very well uh, throughout uh, his career in this league. Most nervous Packer at the moment. It's, it's got to be Lane Taylor, you know. After what's happened this off season. Matt Lafleur inherited Lane Taylor. On the flip side, he, along with Brian Gutekunst and the staff, specifically signed Billy Turner and drafted Elton Jenkins to fit his scheme perfectly because they knew that he would fit that scheme, and they invested a lot of capital both from a free agency standpoint. Uh, with Billy Turner, and from a second round pick standpoint with Elton Jenkins, they they put a lot of capital into two guys who are probably guards for them. And uh, if they feel that those two are their starters going forward, which would not surprise me at all, then I think you could end up with a, with a scenario where Lane Taylor has the same thing that happened to Josh Sitton uh, a few years back, where Lane Taylor was the one that kind of jumped in and took Josh Sitton's job at a much lower cost and uh, again, there is definitely some cap savings by, by cutting Lane Taylor in this scenario. So I think he's probably sleeping a, a little worse at night. And then you really kind of combine that with just Cole Madison coming back as well. That doesn't help things. And, and two under-the-radar players who I know for the, the hardcore fans aren't really under the radar maybe at this point anymore, but Nico Saragusa and Alex Light were two players I really liked coming out. I know Alex Light was an undrafted free agent. Saragusa was a fourth rounder uh, who they picked up last year. Uh, but uh, both of these guys are players who I think can fit in this league. And if they all of a sudden start to show that they could be really nice depth pieces, or if Cole Madison shows that he could potentially start in this league, and you've got a lot of depth, again Lane Taylor not going to be sleeping too well at night, and not championing him getting released. I hope he does well. I hope he does great. And uh, I hope that you know I think that he and uh, the Packers are better when when he's on the field and he's on the team. But that competition's there. I'm more I'm more reading tea leaves here than I am saying I hope that they cut Lane Taylor. Just saying the writing could be on the wall if some of these younger players really produce at a high level. Uh, something that maybe they missed out on in the draft or didn't address, I thought there were a few things. One, a top-end linebacker, and this is probably a foregone co- conclusion once Devin White and Devin Bush were gone just because there wasn't that high-end linebacker left in the draft at that point, and both of those players went before pick 12, uh, when Green Bay was on the clock, so unless they moved up for one of those players, they really weren't going to get a high-end linebacker. But something that's probably still still missing a little bit. Again, they've got Blake Martinez and Oren Burks, maybe Josh Jones, and then you know they got Crawford. They picked up Ty Summers in the seventh round, but there's definitely some some holes still there at that inside linebacker position. As I mentioned and talked about earlier, they still don't have that all-around tight end. They've got three move guys in Sternberger and Tanyan and Graham, and then they've got one blocking guy who can't move in Mercedes Lewis. They don't have that all-around tight end, both for this year or going forward. And then they didn't really address the future at right tackle. You know, This is really probably Brian Bulaga's last season, and you could maybe put Billy Turner out there. Maybe Jason Spriggs surprises and shows that he can be the, the franchise right tackle going forward, but there's not a great option at right tackle, and they had some ability to go out and get a Jawan Taylor or, or get a uh, Andre Dillard, and they, they decided not to, uh, of course. They went with Savage uh, and, and Gary instead, and we'll see how that plays out over time. But uh, they, they had the opportunity to address tackle. They didn't, and I still think that that's a, a question mark on this team at the moment. Last but not least, I, I wanted to take a look at just some of the, the quick draft picks around the league. Uh, The Bears took David Montgomery and Riley Ridley uh, as their top two picks. Detroit took uh, TJ Hawkinson as their top pick. The Vikings took Garrett Bradbury and then Irv Smith after that, and then spent a third round pick on Alexander Madison, Madison, who is a running back. The thing that I just wanted to point out here, there is not a lot of positional value that that the division added outside of what the Packers did. And David Montgomery and Alexander Madison two third round running backs which is a pretty good pick for a running back and I think both of them have talent but they added running backs uh you know Alexander Madison's going to be well below the depth chart for the Vikings at the running back position David Montgomery should share time with Tariq Cohen pretty quickly uh, but if you told me that uh, you know the 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 big division teams left with a couple running backs a couple tight ends and a center uh you know, and Riley Ridley and uh, inside linebacker for Detroit Tavai from Hawaii. Not a lot of positional value, and not a lot of high-end elite elite talent. In fact, for the Vikings, Irv Smith, uh, Kenton Platty, who who does all the RAS scores and all the you know athleticism trending. Basically, the hit rate with athletic profile players like Irv Smith doesn't exist. Meaning that players with his size, speed, strength, and athleticism. Don't have a route to success in the NFL, and Irv Smith could always be an outlier, but he would kind of be the first one. So I'm not a fan of really what any any of the divisional opponents did in this draft, and I don't think it's tough to say or see that that Green Bay was really the winner here. And you know, Chicago can make the uh, you know point that they used their pick towards Khalil Mack and and uh, you know um, the the receiver Miller out of Memphis a season ago. So they, they can make those, those cases all day, but uh, at the end of the day, this draft specifically, I didn't think the division addressed a lot, and I think Green Bay could easily be seen as the winner of the four teams within the division. That does it for me today. I do want to give a few shout-outs before I leave you. A huge thank you to everyone who helped me with the NFL mock draft prior to the draft that was on the Pack-A-Day podcast was easily our most listened to episode of all time and there were so many incredible people that offered to come on and help me out and just really wanted to say thank you to all of them again. A huge thank you also to Ben Fennel, who not only came on that mock draft, but when I reached out to him just to come on for a five minute segment for a mock draft, he specifically said, Hey, let's talk longer and let's do a whole nother episode. And it was just so, uh, you know, willing to do that as well. And he, he had just a phenomenal episode prior to the draft where we broke down a lot of different prospects. So a huge thank you to him as well. Shout out to Owen Reese and Russell Brown uh, for coming on during draft season and and, uh, working with Nick Schmitz throughout the the course of the month. And they just had so much great insight. They're two draft experts. So I appreciate them coming on. They have one last show left with Nick this Wednesday. So make sure uh, to check that out. Um, also, a massive thank you to everyone who helped me on the draft show Friday night on Cheesehead TV live on YouTube. Uh, it was a really great time. Uh, I appreciate anyone who also came by and, and watched, the, uh, watched the show with us. Uh, just really kind of fun going through the second round of the draft. Uh, it, everyone on it did such an incredible job and just killed it. And I appreciate everyone that, that helped me with that. I certainly wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Huge thank you to Aaron Nagler and Corey Banke for having me on on Friday night, breaking down the draft picks. That was a lot of fun. And lastly, a huge, huge thank you to the entire Packaday podcast team for just crushing all of the draft coverage prior to the draft. And we're not done yet. We've got a lot of draft coverage coming in the next seven or eight days. We're going to be breaking down player by player, going into some really deep dives, on each of these uh you know draft picks. So stay stay in tune for that. But just a huge thank you to the entire team for just crushing it during draft season. Make sure to tune in tomorrow as Jake Morley and Ross Uglum take an even deeper dive into Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. But that does it for me today. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time and as always, go pack go. 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers. Who are you supposed to be? Um, Captain America. Rodgers takes quarterback sneak, reaches oh. over, and the ball came loose, but it's a touchdown! A touchdown, Green Bay! Rodgers reached it over, and the Packers have taken the lead! To announce the Green Bay Packers selection, Please welcome wide receiver James Lofton. With the 53rd pick of the 2014 NFL Draft, the 13 time NFL champion Green Bay Packers select Devontae Adams. I am Thor, son of Oath. Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle to the end zone. down With the 18th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jair Alexander. The truth is, I am Iron Man. Snap, blitz on Allen, running for a slider, gets by Richie Gilbert, pulls it back over the middle, and it is in out of the end zone. Here come the Packers, down the right side 20 to 25, it is Jair Alexander on the return. With the 27th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Kenny Clark. Oh, smash! Packers showing blitz snap to Cousins under some pressure. He's it snap! Kenny Clark. They have a deal in place with the Chicago Bears. Mack is on his way to Chicago. I want to be great. I want to be great. I want to be known as one of the best to play the game. I always thought of myself as the best defensive player in the league. That's what comes with Mac. Tell me his name again. Thanos. Read it. Run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. The Avengers? Of Earth's heroes. Sort of like a team. Five letters here. Just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself, R E L A X. Relax. We're in the end game now. There's one goal here, always has been one goal. That's to win world championships, and we're excited to get started. It is my pleasure to introduce Matt LaFleur. As the 50th head coach from the Green Bay Packers in our 100th season. I'm all about family. If that's one thing you're going to learn about me, it's I, I love my family. I did have the opportunity to talk to Aaron, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I cannot wait to get to work with him. I think he's equally as excited. With the 12th pick, the Green Bay Packers select...